Tonight we are starting a sermon series, four-part sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've entitled this sermon series, It's Going to Be a Great Year. And it is going to be a great year. And in these four messages through the, the Gospel of Matthew, tomorrow in chapel you'll hear from Mark Scott from Matthew chapter 11. He's going to talk about Jesus' great invitation. The chapel after that, Mike Schrage from Matthew chapter 28, going to talk about Jesus' great commission. After that, Teresa Welch from Matthew 22, Jesus' great commandment. But tonight, tonight, we're in Matthew chapter 14, and my assignment, it's going to be a great year, is to talk about Jesus' great declaration. Now, if you brought your Bibles, you can open them on your phones, Matthew chapter 14. You know this story, right? Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and after they've had their fill, he dismisses the crowds to go back to their home. He puts the disciples in their boat and tells them to go across the Sea of Galilee while he himself is going to go up on top of the mountain to pray. The disciples get out into the boat and it's evening, night is falling, they're beginning to row across this huge lake, the Sea of Galilee, when suddenly, boom, a fierce storm explodes on the lake. This storm is huge. Now, these guys, they're seasoned fishermen, of course, they know storms, but this storm is no ordinary storm. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is eight miles across. And our text says that the disciples had been rowing from the fall of evening until the third watch, excuse me, the fourth watch of the morning, which is three o'clock in the morning. They've been, they've been rowing from probably 9 p.m. until 3 a.s. Six hours they've been rowing. They're not even halfway across the lake because this storm is massive. The wind is howling and the waves are huge. They're crashing over the boat and, and the rain is pelting their face. Their hair is matted against their cheeks and they're rowing for all of their worth. Their muscles are straining and they are afraid. The guys in the front of the boat are yelling to the guys in the back of the boat, row harder. The guys in the back of the boat are yelling to the guys in the front of the boat, we are. And they, they've seen some huge storms in their life, but this hurricane, this, this kraken of a sea monster, this thing is going to kill them. And, and they aren't Sure, they've got enough strength left in their muscles. The water is beginning to gather in the bottom of the boat. It's already up past their ankles. And even though they're seasoned fishermen, they can taste it in their mouth. It's fear. They are afraid. Now tonight, some of you may be there with the disciples. You're afraid. Maybe you're a new student here at Ozark and you have left behind your hometown and you've left behind your family and here you are in a strange place with strange people and and fear. Maybe it's the workload of college and and you know all the things that will be required. Seven o'clock classes. What is up with that? That is not of God. And you've already maybe gotten a few of your syllabi and you're beginning to read through so many books, so many papers, so much homework. How are you going to do all this studying? Have you ever noticed that the last part of the word studying is the word dying? That is true. And you're afraid this is going to kill you. In fact, my daughter Lydia is here somewhere and uh, she she uh, is sitting here and she calls the, the convocation banquet every year the last supper. <laughs> you know, tonight we eat, tomorrow we die. That's the way it works. And, and maybe that's what 
you're afraid of. Maybe your storm is completely different. I don't know your story. Maybe your parents are going through a divorce. Grandma just diagnosed with cancer. Friend that just died. I don't know your story, but my hunch is that some of you here tonight feel just like this in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, and you are afraid. Can I tell you why I think the disciples were really afraid? Why they were so scared? I think it's this. It's because they did not yet know Jesus' name. They did not yet know who Jesus really was. I know what this is like. I I grew up in church and I thought I knew what Jesus was like as a kid. I saw all the pictures of Jesus in Sunday school. Maybe you've seen these pictures with, you know, a, a gentle Jesus, long flowing brown hair, brown eyes, white robe, blue sash, of course. And he always has little lambs around his shoulder, little children upon his lap, a smile upon his face. And he is a meek Jesus, a mild Jesus. A Mr. Rogers Jesus. And won't you be my neighbor? And the Jesus that I thought I knew was not a very strong and powerful figure. You would never have mistaken him for Rambo or Chuck Norris or Captain America or Thor. No, the the Jesus that I knew was kind of a a Joel Osteen Jesus. (laughs) Nice guy. Might be a good teacher. Not much help in a fight. All right? And I think, I think the reason that maybe the disciples are so scared is because that was their picture of Jesus. Jesus was not big enough. He was not strong enough. He was not powerful enough to help them in this fight. And they were scared. They were afraid. And so Jesus decides to tell them his name. He decides to show them who he really is. Now, now I want you to picture this. Jesus is up on the, the mountainside and he's been praying. And from his perch up there, he can see down into the middle of the lake. He can see the boat out there struggling in the middle of the storm. Now, notice Jesus doesn't go help them, even though he's seen them for hours, until 3 a.m. He waits until they are at the end of their strength, until they are completely exhausted. Only then does he come to them. Someone said that Jesus is never late, but he is seldom early. Uh, I saw a a book title one time that said, God's never failed me yet, but he has scared me to death a few times. (laughs) And man, he waits till the disciples are good and scared. But finally at 3 a.m., Jesus begins to walk down off of the mountainside. Now watch this. All of you have been to a beach, a lake, an ocean, and you have watched somebody walk down across the sand, down the shore, and when they get to the edge of the water, the lake, the ocean, and they begin to enter, their body begins to go down into the water. Ankles and then knees and then waist, and pretty soon water's up to their chest. Soon it's just their head bobbing above the water. But I want you to watch what happens. Jesus walks down the mountain, And he's crossing the sand, the seashore, but when he gets to the edge of the water, he does not begin to go down into the water. No, 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 no. When Jesus hits the edge of the water, he just starts striding out across the top. Can I get a what, what? All right, this is amazing. What in the world is going on here? Jesus is walking on top of the H2O. Now, why? Why would Jesus do this? 
Uh, Jesus, you understand, could have just snapped his fingers and instantly, like, appeared in the middle of the boat. He could have done that. He could have done the Superman thing, just flown out to them through the air. Why does he choose this mode of transportation? Why does he walk across the water? I'll tell you why. It's clue number one to his identity. Because in the Old Testament, walking on water was a thing that only God did. Job chapter 9, Job chapter 38, Psalm 77. You stride across the waves. Your path is through the middle of the sea. You walk the recesses of the deep. Walking water, that's a God thing. Jesus is giving them clue number one. But there's clue number two, and this one is actually in Mark's version of this story. Matthew doesn't give it, but if you were reading Mark, it says that as, as Jesus is walking out to them, uh, in the water. Now, now, let me stop right here for just a minute. You, you heard the story read and you know what happens as Jesus begins to walk out across the water. Of course, the disciples are still out there straining at the oars. The wind is howling. They can't hear the sound of their own voice. They're yelling. They're scared. And all of a sudden, in the midst of a lightning flash, they see this figure coming out, walking across the waves to them. And they are instantly terrified. The text says that they cry out. It's a ghost. You see, all they can see is his white robe. They can't see his blue sash. It's too dark. (laughs) And they're terrified. And as Jesus gets closer to them, here comes clue number two from the gospel of Mark. It says in that passage that at that moment, quote, Jesus intended to pass them by. What's going on, Jesus? Why would Jesus pass them by? Why wouldn't he stop and help? Is Jesus being, you know, like competitive here? He's like, hey, I'm going to make it ashore first, later suckers, you know. I mean, what, what is, is, does he just not really care? You know, good luck with not drowning and everything. And, you know, what, why would he pass them by? Well, again, if you know your Old Testament, you know why. Because you recognize that. Language, Exodus chapter 33 and 34, Moses is on the mountaintop and he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, Moses, you could not handle my glory. If you looked me straight in the face, your, your, your hair would catch on fire. Your head would explode, brother. You could not handle this. I mean, there is no, there is no blast shield strong enough to keep my glorioactive radiation beams from burning right through your skull. You would die. But I'll tell you what I'll do. See that cleft of the rock over there? I'll put you over there. I'll put my hand over you. And then I will pass by. And I'll let you catch a glimpse of my back. And Moses does. And after just seeing a glimpse of God's back, his face glows for weeks. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, when you read that language, God was about to pass by. That language is always a clue to theophany. There's going to be a divine appearance. You're going to get a real live actual God sighting here. When it says that Jesus intended to pass them by, that's a clue to his identity. God's about to show up. But here, here comes clue number three. Because when they cry out in fear, in our text, in Matthew, Jesus... Jesus calls back to them. It says he calls to them immediately. He doesn't leave them hanging. And this is what he says. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now that's the NIV. In the Greek, this is how it reads. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. 
Now, you know your Old Testament. You do know that language. That is Exodus chapter 3. That is burning bush. That is Moses standing there. And God says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, God, how, how will they know who sent me? Who am I supposed to, to tell them? Show me some ID here. What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. That, that is a great name. I am, present, active form of the verb to be. God is saying, I am present. I am active. I am here. He is saying, I am constant. I am unending. I am inexhaustible. I am immeasurable. I am the center of everything. I am running the show. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the owner of all things. I am God. My name is I am. And when Jesus says, take courage, it is I. He's not saying, take courage, I am here. He is saying, take courage, I am is here. He is claiming to be God. Don't miss this. He is telling them his name. Jesus is saying, I am, I am. Oh, students, if you're feeling a little afraid tonight at the beginning of this school year, Would you hear those words? Um, Last March, my wife uh, Katie and I went down to uh, Florida for a conference. And uh, this conference was held at a very nice hotel there in Florida. It was right on a beautiful Florida beach. And in fact, this, this hotel and this beach were so nice that while we were there, um, we discovered that they were actually filming a movie there uh, at the hotel while, while we were there. Now, this movie hasn't even come out yet, um, but it, it will be called Baywatch, all right? So don't go see it. But um, the, uh, the movie is going to star Zac Efron and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And so they're filming this while we're there. In fact, uh, throw up, throw up that picture. So we, we saw them while we were there. We saw Zach Efron. We saw The Rock. In fact, one night, um, at, uh, after the conference, last conference session had closed, it's, you know, it's nine, ten o'clock at night, um, Katie and I, a bunch of our friends went down to the outdoor pool that was right outside on this little veranda outside of the, uh, hotel, and, uh, and they were filming a night scene of this movie. And so we actually got to see it. We, uh, in fact, they, they had it roped off, and I was, uh, right up against the rope. I was like on the, on the front row, and there's two guys, black shirts, walkie-talkies, you know, crew, kind of guarding that rope. But I'm telling you that right past them, like 15, 20 feet from me, Lydia was there, she, she saw us, was Zac Efron. And uh, yeah, she's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and then just a little ways on beyond him was The Rock. Now in this particular scene, they filmed it like six, seven, eight, nine times while we were there over and over and over again. In this particular scene, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is angry at Zac Efron's character. And so he, boom, he pushes Zac Efron's character right into the pool. And they enacted this scene several times, but it wasn't actually Zac Efron uh, who was getting uh, pushed in. He was standing in the pool to do his little piece. Um, but, uh, but it was his body double. It was his stunt double that was there and, and just kept getting pushed over and over and over again. And listen, I got to tell you, uh, just, I mean, even from, even from that distance, the rock is massive. 
This man is big. He is a huge human chunk of granite. The guy is gargantuan, all right? And, 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 and so we're watching all this take place, and I'm sitting right there on the rope, when all of a sudden, the two guys with uh, uh, black t-shirts and the walkie-talkies, all of a sudden they turn, and they come over to me. And, they, and this is what they said. They said, sir, I'm sorry, but we're going to need to take you with us right now. And I didn't know what was going on. I said, um, sorry, uh, did I do something wrong or some mistake? I mean, what's, what's going on here? And they said, no, sir, no mistake. We just, we need you to come with us. And after a bit, I discovered that what had happened is they thought accidentally that I was the rock's uh, body double, that I was in. <laughs> that did not happen. All right. That did not happen. <laughs> the rest of it did, but that didn't happen. Because my confession, this isn't a confession, you already know it. No one has ever mistaken me for Dwayne the Rock Johnson, all right? In fact, go to this next uh, uh, picture there. Um, uh, if I'm anybody, I'm the dude on the right, okay? <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. And, uh, and no, I am not a big guy. I am not a ripped guy. You know, I don't scare anybody. Now, I have been in some scary places in my life. I have been in some dangerous spots in the world. I have been in third world countries in some neighborhoods that were actually patrolled by, you know, uh, uh, soldiers with AK-47s in helicopters. One time I was in New York City. I was out on the streets of New York City, 2 a.m., when all of a sudden this huge group of guys come out of an alley, and it is a, it's a barroom fight that is spilling out. It's, it's brewing right here on the sidewalk, and I'm walking down uh, the, the street at that very moment. Now, in those situations like that, I never strike terror into the heart of people that are around me, all right? In fact, it's my heart that starts beating faster. It's my palms that start sweating. I'm the one that is feeling fear. I can taste it in my mouth. But then I thought to myself, what if? What if I had Dwayne The Rock Johnson with me? I mean, flip to this next picture. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I mean, this guy is, he is huge. He is massive. Uh, you know, ne- next picture there. Uh, when you just see this guy, if you've watched any of his movies at all, you know he is pretty much the baddest man on the planet. All right. I mean, he drinks jet fuel for breakfast. He spits fire and he eats, you know, machine gun bullets for dessert. This guy is tough. And and I thought to myself, what if I had Dwayne The Rock Johnson walking down that street there in New York City at 2 a.m.? By myself, I could not handle that situation. You understand that I never had a class in, in, you know, in Bible college in breaking up barroom fights. This is not my spiritual gift. I'm a children's church teacher. You know, what am I going to say in that moment? Now, guys, sit down right now. Be quiet. Cut it out. I'm serious. All right. That didn't even work in children's church. It's not going to work here. But if I had Dwayne the Rock Johnson with me, man, you can bet I would stride right into the middle of that situation with confidence. If I had the Rock with me, It would dispel all anxiety. If I had the rock with me, it would do away with all fear. If I had the rock with me, I would stand tall as I walked through the world. If I had the rock with me, I would know that even in the middle of a bar room fight, that is the safest place in the world for me to be. Listen to me, Ozark Christian College. I do. I have the very rock of ages with me. Jesus calls out to you tonight over the howling winds in your life. I am. 
The one who is with you. He is, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the champion of heaven. He is Revelation's righteous warrior riding on that white war horse. He is the, he is the creator of the cosmos, the defeater of death, the king of the universe. In Genesis 1, he just speaks a few words and, and oceans fill and continents emerge. Forests spring from the earth. He is at this very moment sustaining galaxies with His Word. He is holding every star in its place. He is sending out the the lightning from His storehouse. He is breathing out the wind. He is watering the earth. He is birthing new life. He is ordaining death. He is raising up rulers. He is directing the course of every nation. Do you think, do you think I am worried about America's presidential election? I am not. Because America and every one of its presidents will someday just be a footnote in history. But our king and his kingdom will last forever. He is the rock that will never be broken. He is the rock that will never be shaken. That is the one who is with you. I am. It's the beginning of the school year. You learn that name. You learn that name. But there's one other name that I want you to learn tonight. You see, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, I heard a, heard a preacher named Louis Giglio one time uh, preach a sermon. And he said that in Exodus chapter 3, there at the burning bush, Moses not only learned God's name, but he also learned his name. You see, he learned that if God's name is I am, then Moses learned that his name was I am not. If... God is controlling everything, then I am not controlling everything. If God is in charge, then I am not in charge. I am not all-powerful. I am not running the show. I am not sovereign. I am not Lord. Moses' name was I am not. Now, if you've read the chapter, you know Moses already knew his name. Earlier in the chapter, he said it. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But Lord, I am not... Eloquent. I am not quick of speech. I am not the right guy. Oh, Moses. Moses knew that was his name. And in fact, if you read through the Bible, you'll discover that many of God's greatest servants knew that that was their name very well. Gideon says to God, I'm not strong enough. Abraham says, I'm not young enough. Jeremiah says, I'm not old enough. Isaiah says, I'm not holy enough. Mary says, I'm not married enough. And every single time... Every single time one of God's servants says, I am not. God says, you are absolutely right. You are not enough, but I am. And every one of us here tonight, our name, your name, is I am not. In fact, will you take that name tag right now? Will you take, there's pens on the table, and I want you to just write that in on that name tag. Hello, my name is I am not. Will you write that in there? I am not. Now you might be thinking to yourself right now, this seems like a a kind of a strange message for a a college president to be preaching at a convocation banquet. I mean, it's new school year, it's new students. Shouldn't you be saying something, you know, to inspire them, something that's motivational, things like, you know, reach for your dreams, reach high, be all that you can be, find your strengths, you can become anything you want to be. Why? Shouldn't I say, have you seen, you've seen those motivational posters, right, that hang on office walls? They always have a picture. And then they always have
have one word in great big giant white capital letters underneath. You know, it'll say, you know, greatness or attitude or imagination. And then underneath it'll have that little motivational saying, you know, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. You know, uh, whatever you do, give it a hundred percent, you know, whatever it is. And shouldn't, shouldn't you be saying stuff like that at the beginning of a school year? And, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and be honest here. I did not come to do that tonight. I, I did not come to do that because motivational posters are stupid. <laughs> Whatever you do, give it 100%. Uh, what if you're giving blood? <laughs> that would be bad. No, that's not right. Okay? And, and uh, have, you, have you ever seen those demotivational posters? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen these? They, they look like the motivational posters, but they're kind of snarky. They kind of turn the inspirational quotes, you know, on their head. And in fact, uh, I think I brought a few. Um, have you seen this one? Believe in yourself. Because the rest of us think you're an idiot. You know? I like that one. I like this one too. Um, they said I could be anything. So I became a bottle cap. <laughs> I just like that guy. That's amazing. All right. And, and I know, I know, maybe I shouldn't like these demotivational posters, but I just, I have this little sarcastic piece of my soul that likes them. I think we all kind of have this, this little inner Chad Ragsdale that says, <laughs> and it sees those and it says, yes. That is good. I will tweet that, all right? (laughs) And I'm going to be honest here with you. That's what I came to do here tonight. I want to turn those motivational, inspirational quotes, and I want to turn them on their head. Because listen to me, students, I think this is true. The message of Scripture is not be all you can be. The message of Scripture is you can't be all that you think you can be. The message of Scripture is not find your strength. The message of Scripture is embrace your weakness. It is, it is know your limitations. It is accept your incompetence. It is to own deeply your own neediness. It is to understand deep in your soul that your flesh will fail. Lean not on your own understanding. I don't care if you can believe it. On your own you can can't achieve it. Your name is I am not. And that's a hard message to hear. Nobody likes to hear that message. For most of my life, I've, I've been a runner. Uh, in high school, I ran track and cross country. And, uh, and, you know, I was never super fast. I'm not used to bolt or anything like that. But, but, you know, I was faster than the average bear. And, and, uh, and yet, this weekend, this weekend, this Sunday, is my birthday. And I'm going to turn 47 years old. And I do not like to admit this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. I am not as fast as I once was. Every morning, I still get up and, and I, I go uh, run five miles uh, almost every morning. And, and by run, I mean I jog very slowly. <laughs> and, uh, and this summer, I was, I was actually running on the Frisco Trail here in Joplin, you know, kind of this nature trail, it's a beautiful place. And one morning, I was running out on the trail, you know, jogging, huffing, puffing, when all of a sudden, this rabbit jumps out onto the trail, hops out right in front of me. And he turns and looks at me, and then he sprints down the trail, about 10 steps, and then he stops. And then he turns and looks back at me, waits for me to catch up, and then he goes, stops, turns around, looks at me, waits for me to catch up. Boom, does it again, like three, four times. This rabbit was rubbing it in, all right? 
And, and I mean, he's just, he's just showing me how slow I am. In fact, I actually, I actually said out loud in between huffs and puffs, show off. Right? I said this to him. And I mean, I, I did not appreciate him. Mean, he thought he was being all Mr. Funny Bunny, but uh, nobody likes, nobody likes to be reminded of how slow you are. Jack rabbit, more like jerk rabbit. Am I right? I'm right. And, uh, and, and I did not appreciate this. This is the gospel truth. The very next morning, I am out on the Frisco Trail. I'm out jogging my five miles. And right there in the middle of the trail is a turtle. <laughs> I literally laughed out loud. Well played, Lord. Well played. All right. I get it. We all need reminders that we are not what we think we are. Oh, hear me, your flesh will resist that at every turn. Your flesh wants to believe that you are fast, that you are strong, that you are capable, that you are competent. You, we all, we all want to be some kind of, some kind of hero. Peter did in our text. The apostle Peter knew, but he forgot his name. You see, You remember what happens. Jesus calls out. He says, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And what's the very next thing that happens? Peter calls back and he says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I love Peter. All right. He might be my most favorite guy in the whole scripture. But Peter, let's just let's just go ahead and admit it. Peter was always saying the wrong thing, always doing the wrong thing, always sticking his foot in his mouth. I mean, if like the disciples were like the cast of the office, he would be Michael Scott. Are you following me here? He's always doing the wrong thing, but he's a pretty lovable guy. And in this, I mean, and you when I was a kid, I dreamed desperately of being Superman. I Man, I wanted to be the man of steel. I wanted to be soaring through the sky. I wanted to, to, you know, bend steel with my bare hands. I wanted bullets bouncing off my massive Kryptonian chest. You know, I wanted to be rescuing Lois Lane. I wanted to be defeating the bad guys, you know, soaring up into the sky, waving to the adoring crowd. I wanted that great big red S on my chest. I wanted to be a hero when I was a kid. And I think, I think that's the way Peter feels in our text. Peter, give him, give him props. He wanted to be a hero. He wanted to do great things for God. I mean, give him credit. Jesus says, follow me. And he quits his job, drops his nets, follows Jesus, lets Jesus live in his house at Capernaum. He's the one who made the good confession. He is the one who climbed the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the one in the Garden of Gethsemane who tried to fight off an entire cohort of Roman soldiers all by himself with a single sword. I mean, Peter believes he has a big red S on his chest. Jesus needs a hero and I am that hero. And in our text here in Matthew 14, he thinks he's about to get his superpowers. Jesus, if that's really you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. All the disciples are like, oh, oh no, he didn't. (laughs) What you going to do now? (laughs) And Peter looks at him. And an amazing act of faith. Watch this. Peter grabs the side of the boat. He swings a leg out. He rests his foot on that water. I don't know what that feels like underneath his feet, but somehow it holds his weight. The disciples are all watching, wide-eyed. He swings his other leg out of the boat. Now he is standing on the waves. Trust me, he's holding on to the side of that boat still, white-knuckle grip, and he is thinking to himself, you know, Peter, think light thoughts, things that float. I am a feather, I am driftwood, I am a lifeboat. And he's, you know, he's, he's holding on to that thing tight. 
And listen, it'd be hard enough to walk on the water if the water was calm. But Peter is doing this in gale force winds. Jesus has not calmed the storm yet. Jesus is still standing out there, you know, bobbing up and down on the waves, watching all this with a big old smile on his face. And Peter looks at Jesus. He locks eyes. Jesus gets a big old grin on his face. And Peter, in an amazing act of faith, let's go to the boat. And then, big old grin on his face, Michael Scott, he takes the very first step that any ordinary human has ever taken on top of the water. But it's at that moment that Peter forgets his name. Because the text text lets us know that somehow he took his eyes off of Jesus. Now, I I can't prove this, but I kind of think that maybe he took his eyes off of Jesus to begin with to show off for the other disciples. I mean, the scholars tell us that most of Jesus' disciples, those 12 disciples, were actually between the ages of 18 and 23, 24. They were college-age guys. College-age guys love show off. (laughs) (laughs) Can I get an amen, ladies? Thank you. All right. And that's what Peter's doing here. He's like, hey, guys, check this out. I'm walking on the water. All right. And I mean, think about this. He's a fisherman. How, man, he could use this superpower in his new job. He doesn't need a a boat anymore. All right. He just grabs his net, walks out across the top of the water, you know, throws his net down, grabs a fish, boom, walks back across. I mean, holy mackerel. I mean, holy mackerel. All right. He, he's walking on the water. This is so cool. Move over, Michael Phelps. You know, whatever. Oh, you want to race? Okay, hop in the water. I'll hop on the water. Thank you. Run back and boom, gold, you know. And he's, I think he's showing off. I can't prove that, but I know this. At some point, he took his eyes off Jesus. And he sees, uh, he's thinking to himself, did you see? I am the man. And, and, and he's looking around and all of a sudden when he sees the wind and he sees the waves and he begins to sink, that's when he remembers his real name. Oh, I am not. I'm not Superman. I'm not even Aquaman. I need help. Jesus saved me. And Jesus, it says, immediately reached out and saved him and says, Oh, you of little faith. Now hear me, students. The problem wasn't that Peter had little faith. Even little faith in a big God can move a mountain. The problem was he put his little faith in the wrong place. And I'm going to, I want you to hear me on this. You will face that temptation this school year. I hope you did come here because you want to be a hero. I hope you do want to do great things for God. I hope you do want to preach the gospel and see souls saved and go to far off lands. I hope you want to rescue people from injustice and love forgotten folks. I hope that you want to build a church that the very gates of hell will not prevail against. I hope you do want to do great things for God. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are set apart. You are spirit filled. You are a servant of the living Savior. But don't think that means you got a great big S on your chest. Because we don't give out capes around here. Doug Aldridge says, this is a Jesus school. And some point this year, some professor's going to say to you, hey, that was a great paper you wrote. 
Somebody's going to say, that was a great sermon you preached. Somebody's going to shake your hand at church. Oh, you made such a difference in my life. Thank you. And at that moment, for just a moment, you will feel like you are walking on water. You will think you are a superhero. Don't you believe it. This is a Jesus school. He is the hero. He is at the center of everything we do. The center of our campus every time you walk by that statue up the hill. He's at the center of our curriculum every time you sit in Life of Christ class. He is at the center of our calendar every single time we gather on a Tuesday in chapel to worship Him. He is at the center of everything we do. Don't take your eyes off Jesus this school year. Last thing I'll say. Seth Wilson was the founding academic dean of this school. Most of you know that name. Taught here for 53 years. Years. If he did not have the whole Bible memorized, he had it pretty close. Vast portions of God's word coursing through his veins. He taught thousands of kingdom leaders here on this campus. His preaching and his writing reached hundreds of thousands of people. And this college that he helped to build has reached millions for Christ. He was five feet two inches tall, but he was a giant in the kingdom. Seth Wilson, probably smartest guy you'd ever meet. And probably the holiest. One time, he was the guest preacher at a church and the host was introducing him before he got up to the pulpit. And this host said, Seth Wilson is a great man of God. And when Seth Wilson got up to the pulpit, he knew his name. He said, I am not a great man of God, but I am a man who serves a great God. You'll hear us say around here that just one can make a difference. That's not true. Just two can make a difference. If one of them is named I am not, and one of them is named I am. It's the beginning of the school year. Learn the names. Let's pray. Father God, you made the world out of nothing. Keep us nothing so that you can make something out of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.